Welcome to RCSD Thinks with your host, Kyle and Dean, where we talk about the thinking classroom and other mathematical best practices. I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast originated on Treaty 4 territory, traditional unceded lands of the Nahiawak, Nakaway, and Nakoda, homeland of the Métis, Lakota, and Dakota. All right, we'll get started here. Uh, we're really excited, Dean and I here, to welcome Kirsten Dick today. Kirsten doesn't teach in our school division, but she does teach in the province. Um, Kirsten, do you mind just introducing yourself a little bit about where you work and what you do, um, and we'll kind of go from there. Sure. Thanks, Kyle. I really appreciate you two having me on this uh, chat today. And uh, yeah, I teach in Prairie Spirit School Division, and which is kind of the donut around Saskatoon. So it's a couple hundred kilometers from one end to the other. And I teach in a small town just outside of Saskatoon. I'm in a grade 7 to 12 high school with about 200 students. And I mainly focus with the middle years math specialties, as well as some of the workplace math. Um, and so that's part of my role. And the other half of my role is I support teachers across the division. My colleague and I are numeracy facilitators, which is more the side-by-side -side math coaching aspect of things. So I share my time between my classroom every day and getting to work with other teachers. Sounds like a pretty awesome balance and best of both worlds. Uh, I find in my role, I, I really miss the classroom. Um, so it sounds like you get a good chance to, to do a bit of that. Um, as you know, we're talking mostly about thinking classrooms on this podcast. That's what Dean and I are trying to share and capture and everything. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about your journey through thinking classrooms, maybe where it started and you know how it's kind of gone? Absolutely. So our school division, um, as most rural school divisions and urban divisions in this province have seen some changes in the funding models over the last numbers of years, that we did not have anybody supporting math from a division office level for a long time. And some of the decision makers decided it was time to jumpstart some things with some of the senior math teachers specifically, because there had been uh, very much a lack of PD from the division. And so thanks to Karen Campbell, who I think you both likely know from the province, as she's a former superintendent in our school division, she had come across Peter's work and in conjunction with our division brought him to speak and present a workshop. And I, I've kind of lost track of time with COVID, but I think it was about four years, four and a half years ago. And I was lucky enough to be one of the people, it was kind of one person from each school who got to go. We have about 44 schools in our division and his max in a workshop is I think 39 teachers. So he ran a day one and I got to experience that and it was amazing. And um, I, I don't mean for this to sound trite, but I think one of the things, my initial takeaway was like, oh, those big whiteboards I'm using, I could put them on the wall, cool. <laughs> like, so I think I'd already been kind of playing around with some of those ideas of rich tasks and using groups, but this, made things a little bit more intentional for me and so that's kind of where it started and over the course of that year some teachers and I had some opportunities to venture into other classrooms try some things out lots of conversations and um, later that year this role of the facilitator started for the following school year so that gave me even more opportunities to see Peter a couple of more times and try some things in my own classroom so now um, as you mentioned Kyle that is the beauty of my job 
job is that I get to be in my own room and try some things out and I also get to go to other classrooms and other grade levels and try some things out there. So yeah, I would say it's definitely been a, a work in progress. When I came back to teaching math about, I think now five years ago, I'd been teaching ELA and social studies for a chunk of time. Small town school, everybody teaches kind of everything once in a while. And so I was cycling back in to math. I had missed teaching it. Um, and so I was looking for what was the new thing because it had been a long time since I had taught it and I was already trying lots of things with different numeracy routines. I was trying three act math tasks. I was trying to look for low floor high ceiling tasks who didn't really have um, a really set plan of what I wanted to do. I wanted to try some things out and see where it led me and, and Peter's work just really flowed nicely with what I was already trying in my classroom. So Sorry, great. I was just gonna say it's a great rundown and, and I'm forever grateful to your school division and Karen um, because that first workshop that I attended about three or four years ago uh, was hosted by them and that's kind of what kickstarted this journey for me. So it's neat to see that intersection. Sorry, Dean, I cut you off. No, not at all. That's good. That's a, I, that's cool to make these connections. That's one of the things that we're trying to do with this podcast is make connections and actually Kirsten, uh, we've kind of talked a little bit using Twitter and social media using the SaskEd chat. So, and I, I, you know, just doing it already, I see we kind of have a few things in common. So I'm looking forward to this already. Already I've kind of got a few uh, similar stories too, because I, I also teach workplace math and I also teach social studies. So uh, we do have a few things in common too. And and Kyle mentioned we this uh, podcast is about the thinking classroom, but it's also just about best practices in math uh, in general. So. And I like what you were just saying a lot of those things. So if you could go back in time in a time machine to your kind of uh, fresh out of university, might not, I don't think it was that long ago for you. Oh, I'd say that right, right off the bat. But uh, if you could go, <laughs> if you could get in a little time machine and, and uh, check out what it was, uh, you know, just coming in, what would you tell yourself uh, knowing what you know now and going back, especially with math, uh, what would you do to try to get uh, students kind of rolling with math a little bit? Yeah, I think that's a really, uh, it's a really great question and I have thought about that over the last number of years too and and so it is, has been a very long time since I left uh, my undergrad studies. I've been in the same school since the year 2000 so that just tells you something right there. So, um, and I, I think part of it has been I feel really grateful for the opportunities that I've had to have taught so many different grade levels and subject areas. And that is something that I've shared before that having come from that ELA social studies background in some aspects and then back into math and then back to ELA, that I really can see some of those things that move seamlessly cross-curricularly. And, and I feel very grateful that I get to only talk about math all day every day right now but there are definitely things that came from having those cross-curricular experiences and so I think as a young teacher I think that this idea of shifting pieces of your practice and being able to reflect is something that should we should always be doing no matter how long you've been teaching and I know there's a few of us of a certain vintage that can talk about our overhead things and you'd have the same overhead and if you printed them on the photocopier they were going to be the same notes that you would use year after year and and that whole idea of being able to be a reflective practitioner and so to base what you're doing on the students who you have in the room with you that as much as I might think I I know how a certain lesson is going to go. It will be very different even from one hour to the next because it's a different group of people in my in my classroom. So I I hope that the new young teachers are continually reflecting and pulling the pieces that they think are going to be useful for them for their own practice because some things aren't a good fit. Um, some things just uh, don't 
work for where you are, who you are, and uh, but some of these ideas that come from the research, how do we implement them in the classroom? I think that's where the that's where the interesting pieces lie, right? Of what yeah. do we want to take and what do we want to maybe tweak a little bit because it's not the best fit for us in our own circumstances. That's an amazing answer. That's that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and I really like how you hit on how can we use the research to inform our practice in a positive way? Um, because so much of my early teaching days was just trial and error. I just try something, see if it worked. And it was, you know, my own little action research, I suppose, not that I was ever formally written up, but uh, that's what we do as teachers. A lot of times we don't always have research to, to back onto. Um, and that's, I think, why Peter's work spoke to me so, so well, right? It's backed by research. It was proven and it made a lot of sense at the same time. Um, you've, you've been dabbling with thinking classrooms for, you know, a while. You said four or so years. Um, what, what do you think's people misunderstand about thinking classrooms? What are the myths that exist about thinking classrooms? I know your divisions work through some of these things, so it'd be interesting to hear uh, your take on that. I think this is something that your podcast has alluded to in previous episodes too, that for a lot of people, the, the knee-jerk reaction is like, oh, you're putting kids at boards to do math? Okay. And they think that that's what it is, that as soon as we get students standing, that somehow there's different math that takes place. And so I think that might be one of the initial misconceptions. Um, and I think from the teacher perspective, for those teachers especially who have been through an in-person workshop or even a virtual workshop with Peter, that so much of what we experience in that, it feels different than for many of us what our traditional schooling and math classrooms felt like. And so we have that feeling as educators and people and we want to replicate that back in our classroom and think that it's just going to happen like magic <laughs> without this whole notion of how much intentionality is required and how much skillful teaching is required when we're trying to implement some of these practices as part of um, the framework of thinking classrooms. So I think that would be a misconception also that um, if you're very used to a traditional classroom or style of teaching where I'm going to give you some information, you're going to take some notes, we're going to have some examples, and then you're going to practice, that it feels very much like a us to them as students kind of interaction. And with the thinking classroom, there's so much more happening in the room that the teaching, the teaching moves part of it become so much more important and intentional. Yeah, I think those teacher moves are, are hard to capture, hard to share until you've lived it a few times, right? And and a lot of our teachers just teach math, you know, one, one, once a day to the same group of kids throughout the whole year. They don't have that chance like you do, or even Dean in high school, to, to teach three or four classes in a day. Um, so you don't really get that chance to reinforce the practices. So um, I think uh, that that's something that teachers need to be aware of, that it's going to take some time to adjust, and it might not really click until maybe even the second year of implementation. Um, one of the things that we see in our school division is, uh, you know, teachers, they see it, they like it, this is fun, it's exciting, they did a fun task. Um, you know what, let's do this on Friday afternoons. Let's do this right before we're on Easter break right now, right before Easter break. How do you, ha have you helped teachers move away from the, the one-offs of a thinking classroom to a more consistent implementation? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I think that for me and my role coming in as, uh, you know, the side-by-side, collaborator, conversationalist to have people reflect on their own practices that for some people, if that's if that's where they're at, that's where we start is that one day a week. Uh, what do you like about this 
what are some things that you hope that you can take away from if it's an every Friday thing to some of those other days of the week. We have, um, as you know, you know, having experienced this pandemic teaching and the cohorts and the online and the back in person and the half the kids and the quads and the quints and all of those things that right now I am just so grateful to even have this opportunity to work with teachers who are reflecting about their own practice. So if if one day a week is where we're starting and that's where we're starting, but if we can think about those pieces that we would like to take to those other days. So maybe there's some really rich numeracy routines that a teacher's trying to implement. Let's think about maybe starting with a task and finishing with a routine instead of starting with a routine as an opener. Just how can we make some small tweaks to teachers' practices within their classroom so that they are that joy and excitement with their math learners? Because that's that's the part that we like, right? We, we want to see the engagement, which often leads to thinking and learning, and, and that's the goal. So I have... Uh, I have no problem supporting teachers where they're at, and it would be great if everybody can do a big overhaul of their practice, but that is, I don't think for many, sustainable or actionable. It's a, it's a long, slow process. Pedagogy and how we teach in our classroom is, is a very personal thing, and different teachers come at it from different places, especially right now. So giving people that grace to just try what they can and support them where they are. But this idea of a rich task, like maybe uh, maybe that's the entry point and maybe the students are not even standing and maybe the teacher needs to make groups those first couple of weeks, even if they believe the research that the random groups are important, they just might not be there yet. And, and I think that that's okay because we're still seeing shifts in their pedagogical practices. That's great. You had mentioned that you've uh, kind of been doing this for the last uh, little bit here. So I know myself personally, I'm still trying to wrap my head around an assessment with the thinking classroom. Um, what things are you trying to wrap your head around still or what questions do you still have about the thinking classroom, even though you've read the book and met Peter and did all those good things and working with other teachers, but still kind of gets you kind of go, hmm. I think for me, assessment is still that huge piece. Um, I, if you've heard Peter in person, that's his that's his longstanding joke, right? So we don't talk about assessment till the third date. <laughs> and, yeah. and uh, and so, yeah, on the on the day three, when you get to see some of those things that he's been working with teachers on and observing teachers with, those are some of the things I'm still playing around with. One of our school goals is around assessment capable learners. So having students being able to reflect on where they are and in connection and relation to the learning targets. And so those those are things I'm still playing with. Um, I've taken some of the ideas from his presentations and his books and I'm I'm tweaking them a little bit using ICANN statements that connect with our provincial curriculum and then really delineating those for students of okay, if I'm going to give a traditional assessment, which is not always the case, but sometimes it's it's the case that that here are the ICANN statements for this particular topic or unit or outcome or however you would like to describe it. And where do you think you are right now? Where do we think we need to review? Where do we maybe need a little bit more practice? And then after the assessment is done, the students are also the ones that go back and then look at that. And then we can sit down together and then figure out what are the specific things that we would like to do to help support them in their learning. Um, and this idea of triangulated assessment, which I know is uh, all over the province and it's it's wonderful, especially 
especially in math, that we were focusing less on product. But that's an easy default when we are tired and overwhelmed in pandemic teaching. Um, so it, it can be trickier to think about how else do I want to capture these observations and conversations that I'm having? And how do I make that seem, quote unquote, valid for the students and parents and all of the stakeholders that we've got in education? So, so yeah, assessment is one of those things that I'm, I'm still playing with a little bit. No, I, I love your answer, and and I like that too. And even what you said, like assess, if they go back to the root origin of the word, means to sit beside. So I really like that you said that, and I think that's what the thinking classroom gets to do. It's just how do you translate that to the almighty mark, so to speak. But I think people are starting to uh, turn their heads, and even with the kids, I, I still I see that when they're in their thinking classroom groups, I can hear them talk, and I can say, well, you just met that outcome. So you know, I assessed it. I've heard it. You've met that, like. Yeah. I got to get better at triggering out, okay, well, then, you know, with the checklist and that type of a thing, there's your grade and maybe work with the kid and other stakeholders to come up with that grade that might be needed. But if a kid made it an outcome and he assessed it, it it's, it's awesome. That kid, I like that I can, I can do this. So now I can do the next step, right? So I, I really love your answer there. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that student voice and choice is always important too, right? So that sometimes there might be in my classroom a variety of options that you might choose to create an online portfolio of things that show what you know is what I've been calling them. I stole that from a number of people, right? Um, so that that might be something I've used Flipgrid and leverage technology. And if you want to show me with the Flipgrid whiteboard or just tell me how you're going to solve this, here's a couple of prompts, choose one. That doesn't need to be shared with anybody but me. So there's a that's that safe space for students who maybe feel that pressure um, of, a, of a testing situation in a classroom that they can do that at home on a weekend and as many takes as they need until they're happy with it. And, and so I think that being able to leverage the technology allows that student autonomy and the student choice in how do they best want to show what they know about this topic because it might not be a traditional test for some. Yeah, I, I like that you mentioned technology and Dean and I have talked about technology. We were actually kind of more met in the ed tech world before this math world. Um, can you speak a little bit more to how you integrate technology into thinking classrooms? Because Peter doesn't specifically talk about technology, but when you ask him, he says, oh, it absolutely fits. Um, you know, how does it fit? You, you mentioned Flipgrid as a way to share results, but does it fit beyond that? Do you use any other tools? Um, uh, well, I'm all about things that are free. So Desmos is my other go-to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I love the accessibility features of Desmos and tech is not kind of my thing. So uh, that's something that's been a good stretch for me. Um, I was working on my graduate degree over the last couple of years and with Dr. Uh, Kathy Nolan from the U of R, I took a class with her and and one of our self-study things that we did, I my challenged myself to be able to incorporate technology in, in math and to see if it could be used as a way to enhance discourse. Um, and so Desmos, absolutely, there's ways that kids can share things on there, they can draw, they can even upload little videos. Um, and so for, and I, right now with the grade eights, that would, I would say would be something that I would use probably at least once, once a cycle or once a week-ish to be able to do some of that practice. And so it can still be collaborative. It can still involve lots of sharing. Like the, the computer lab is not a silent place when our class goes down because there is still math talk happening and it's still the peer-to-peer -peer discourse happening via technology and the in-person conversations that are happening in, in the classroom. So that would be another way that I would use that as part of, I guess as Peter would call it, the check your understanding mm -hmm. piece. 
that that practice with with a concept. Okay, so we've done let's say uh, linear relations in grade eight. We're doing you know one two step distributive property equations. We've practiced that. We've got multiple representations, and now we can go in on the computer and let's see what this looks like and try some marble slides and maybe we're going to do a visual pattern here. And that again, as you were saying, Dean, looking for those places where we can observe where students have met an outcome. Absolutely, it's no problem to take a screenshot of something that they've done and that can go into a portfolio. So that also allows students to, without having to go through their meaningful notes that they already know that they've got this compilation because we use it the Google Classroom. It syncs wonderfully with the Google Classroom. They have access to all of the things that they've done. They can pull their own screenshots out to help create their portfolio for learning. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, I think there's some ideas I'm going to steal from that and uh, share with some of our teachers next week when we're back into into the office here. Oh, um, terrific. And then send them back to me so I can improve what I'm doing. Okay. Too. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do that. I mean, that's the beauty of better all. together for sure. Yeah. Um, you mentioned check your understanding um, and you mentioned in our conversation or back and forth prior to the call here today that it might look a little different on different days. You know, what kind of things do you do for check your understanding? Um, you know, and, and how does that fit into this whole bigger picture of a thinking classroom? Yeah, and I I will preface this by saying that in my classroom, we still just call it practice. I don't call it check your understanding. Um, I don't really assign homework per se. Um, not the same way I did 20 years ago, for sure. Um, although homework's never been a huge part of, <laughs> of my teaching practice. However, the so do we still have access to a textbook absolutely do we do we do do we still sometimes use worksheets yes absolutely we do but if we think about what that might look like in my classroom there um i mean there's so many different ways that we can do that so whether we talk about it as thin slicing of like okay the first five of this worksheet you're going to do on the board with groups maybe i right now i have a large group of grade eights as an example so i have nine groups so maybe each group gets one question so then we have an example to look at before we come back and work collaboratively in our desks i was so excited this year when we were allowed to put desks back into groups and not into rows anymore so that was thrilling for me <laughs> um so so that kind of traditional practice that might happen at the whiteboards or within groups, but all of those other ideas that are floating out there online of things like using two truths and a lie. Maybe we want to do some practice with that. Maybe we're going to use something. Some teachers call it speed dating. I call it speed mathing in my room. I saw a different term yesterday to show up on social media of, you know, kids maybe create a question or find a question that they they become the expert in that question and we, you know, we can rip through some review. Um, I use games quite a bit in my room and intentional about which games I pick and they can't just be ones that the math seems like the afterthought the math needs to be according to Dan Finkel's word the engine of the game right that there needs to be something in there we do things that we might call them scavenger hunts they're not really but like question answer a maybe matches H and they then go back to J and then around and so each group can start in a different place and they're again still upright and moving and in groups and solving things so I want to the things that I think is still really important when I give practice for students is that there is still an opportunity for some independent think time for parts of it and there's still an opportunity for discourse peer-to-peer -peer discourse for parts of it because it is important for students to be able to know how to do things on their own but only after they have felt all of that success 
and learning that comes with being able to solve things as a group. So the first task that we're going to do, we're going to be working together in a group. And then maybe that's the first 45 minutes on the first day of a new topic. And they've got just a small thing that they're going to do for practice. But maybe three days later, the practice piece becomes more leans towards more of that independent because this is when now we have moved past the collaborative learning time and into the independent practice. So yes, I structure it. I try to structure it differently so that that's a surprise to the students every day what we're going to do. <laughs> keep them engaged, keep them guessing. Um, yeah. Just kind of a, a little off the script, but it's still within what we're talking about. You also mentioned that you teach social studies and, and that type of thing. Have you seen the thinking classroom used in other disciplines? Uh, have you used it yourself or have you seen it used in a workshop with adults or, or anything? Have you seen a different context? Yeah, and because right now my day is only math, but I also support teachers, mostly from K to nine. My colleague sp supports more of the high school teachers, but it's basically whoever sends us an email is who we go work with. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, there are some teachers doing some really cool things. The senior science teacher in our room, he's got in our school, he's got some whiteboards set up and there's kids working all over the place and boards and collaboratively. There's some amazing things happening in our division, as I'm sure there is across the province with this cross-curricular. And then this, I idea of how can we actually find cross-curricular projects too, right? So in, in workplace, if you've got certain things that you can do for STEM projects, and I know if you guys are technology that there's so many fun things that you can do cross-curricularly um, in there that there's so many, so many options that like I said, there's times that I am so grateful to be in my own classroom because I can try certain things, but I get to see so many cool projects that teachers are, are doing. And then with adults and I um, my colleague at we we run the PD for our school division right so absolutely there's going to be a rich task there's going to be collaborative groups there's going to be randomized groups when we're working with adults and those white books travel with me everywhere <laughs> because those it's just you know being upright and being able to talk with somebody else as the as the person who's experiencing it, yeah, great, we're standing up. But as the person who's facilitating, whether you're facilitating student learning or adult learning, to be able to look around the room and see where the thinking is and know where you're going to nudge, where you want to consolidate those, the five practices from uh, Peg Smith and her colleagues, right, of being able to anticipate what's going to happen. And then the monitoring piece just becomes so much easier when everybody is upright and you can see what's happening at those boards, 100%. Yeah, I think any PD I do from now on will have an element of thinking classrooms in it. Um, just the engagement level is just, it's just so much higher, right? And you can get so much further with with adult learners too, just as we do with students. And, you know, anytime, and I was guilty of this, I, when I was a teacher, I'd go to a workshop. Sometimes there was a chance to catch up on emails, right? And that's, I wasn't necessarily engaging in whatever we were talking about as deeply as I should have. Um, and, you know, that's, I see that when I'm doing workshops prior to some of this stuff. So um, it's gonna be a part of everything I do moving forward. Um, you know, thinking beyond thinking classrooms and outside of thinking classrooms, what else are you focusing your work on these days? I know you're in the classroom and you're also not in the classroom. Maybe there's a bit in both worlds there. Yeah, I I guess my the impetus for me to go back to school was, OK, I like I feel like it's really good for kids to talk in class. So but like, why is that? So kind of that digging in a little bit more into some of the research. And so I think that's where I, I still am uh, of just, you know, we've 
there's so many wonderful books that are coming out and there's so many wonderful educational leaders around. Um, I, for our division and for me personally, I will say that this idea of equity and safe spaces in my classroom is something that I'm really thinking about, making sure that I am aware of and attuned to the needs of my students. Differentiation is such a, I mean, it's not just a buzzword, but it is such an essential piece of what we are doing right now. So I think that's where I am starting to focus some of my my thinking and my observations and reflections it knowing that okay so within this thinking classroom what are the pieces of this that are working really well for many of my students and what are some of those pieces during that practice and check your understanding time that I need to make sure that I am maybe working with small groups of students how am I doing some direct targeted instruction because for me that's when I think some of that comes into play for those students that perhaps have some gaps in their understanding or their some of the connections between big ideas are are I say missing through no fault of their own but being able whether you call that interventions or conferring or mini workshops or whatever terminology you want to use but I think that's where that's where my focus has been the, the last while is thinking about how I'm meeting the needs of all of the learners in my classroom because I know that right now everybody's coming from a different place and as we know the provincial uh, education plan that is focusing on that mental health and well-being. So how am I creating an academically safe space? I know that's the terminology Jeff Crawl uses in his Necessary Conditions book, but I really do think that that's an important thing, that if we want kids to take risks and collaborate and talk, that what am I doing to make sure that that feels like a safe space for that to happen? So with that, how did you feel the, the thinking classroom falls into that? And what, is the, how, what have the kids been saying to you? I'm interested to hear and because you go, you kind of get a cross section. So I know I kind of deal in the high school world. I wouldn't mind to know, kind of, what are the kids saying back to you? Does it feel safe? Does it feel good? Do you see them resisting? Like, do the kids want to sit down uh, when you tell them stand up? Or <laughs> oh, there's always kids that want to sit down. And sometimes I think is that is that the hill I want to die on today? And some days it is, and some days it's yeah. like, no. If you want to pull up a chair because I know you didn't get home from a hockey game till 1 a.m., then I'm going to let you sit down because you're still engaged with your group. So, you know, I think that again comes to those the the teacher moves part of being aware of what's happening in yeah. in your classroom. You can't just give a task and let them go and hope that everything is going to work out. Um, so when I think about the different needs that I have of my classroom, and, and I know Peter has spoken about this before too, but just really, and again, as I mentioned, those five practices, anticipating not only the math that's going to happen, but what are some of those needs. So if I have a student with specific learning needs that I'm, they might get the hint a little bit in advance. Maybe this is the student that I know in this group is going to end up with the marker. As soon as those groups shuffle, you know as a teacher, when you look at them, you're like, okay, this group's going to need an extension in about 37 seconds, and this group is going to need me to stand beside them and give them a little bit of a hint to get going. And so all of those pieces that, that happen every day. Um, and so I also think that if we, and I obviously am still a learner, but as we get better at differentiating our practice pieces, whether that's um, the idea that I've stolen from Karen Campbell of like the Venn diagram. So if you're feeling really comfortable, do these questions. If you're not so comfortable yet, do these questions. But these ones in the middle of the diagram and the overlap, these are the ones everybody's going to make sure they do. Like those kinds of things. Um, being really intentional about how I design things. So maybe it's a tic-tac-toe choice board of the questions and I can nudge certain students like, oh, I think 
you know, that center one is a really good one for you. And or it's pulling a small group to the back table so that we can have a conversation. And I can do some of that direct teaching um, because we also know that that has a really good I, I hate to sound like effect size, but you know, that's one of those things that for some students, that's that's maybe what what they need that those ex those connections between mathematical ideas did not come through as clearly for them during the consolidation as it did for others and we need to spend a little bit more time on that so i think the thinking classroom because it's a series of uh teacher moves in the in your room that obviously if you are attuned to what's happening you can tweak it so that it can meet the needs of the learners that you're teaching that's what i think i don't and, and, and the kids have responded <laughs> and the kids have responded well yeah, I think one of the interesting things that some teachers and I have talked about with even the random grouping, um, because I teach in a small town, these kids have been together literally since preschool because there's only one in town. And so having this chance to be in a different group every day when they come into the room breaks down some of those mental ideas of who can do math and who can't do math in the classroom. Whereas in a big city high school, I think it's the opposite because you might be in a class of 100 150 and you end up with these 25 or 35 people in your classroom and you don't really know them and so the randomized groups serve a very different purpose there because that gives you an opportunity to actually get to know the people in your group so i think that that's one of the fascinating things and that has overwhelmingly been feedback from students that they like the idea that there's nobody that's feeling left out nobody feels pressured to feel find a partner that that visible random grouping is one of the things that they absolutely um, really like about how math class runs because it takes that pressure as these grade 8, 13 and 14 year olds who could just feel like the world is watching them all day. It takes that pressure right off and it, it's up to the computer or the popsicle sticks or the decks of cards who ends up where for that day. And uh, yeah, and there's always one kid who's like, Mrs. Dick, I don't believe you. Well, then they get to be the one to make the draw or hit the button or whatever, right? So that <laughs> that if even if it's even if it is visibly random and they don't believe my visibly random, that they then be, can become in charge of creating the group. So fair enough. Um, and with the use of whether it's uh, sticky notes and exit slips or a Desmos feedback, that that is what I have heard that students like the idea of being able to work in groups they like the idea that the groups are not chosen for them and they like th they like thinking they really do there's times that you'll hear the feedback of like oh like math class my brain hurts like that's a that's a happy moment for me or when they when the bell goes and they i teach math right now at the last class of the day um so you know may and june with grade eight sometimes they're a little squirrely by the end of the day and i know that if we're upright and moving and thinking that class is still going to fly by and they they do say that so the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive when i have asked yes perfect so that was a really long answer to a short oh, question that was, an that was an excellent answer i love that one i'm nodding my head here i think i'm getting get whiplash but it's, it's great <laughs> yeah i i I appreciate that the, the students have gotten on board. Sometimes we have students who do fight it. Have you have you ran into those students, the ones who are maybe a little more resistant? And when you did, you know, what are some of the things that helped move them in the direction you wanted them to go? Yeah, I think like any teacher that tries something new, that there's going to be some pushback, especially from those students who have been the good mimickers. And I don't think that my experience is unique. <laughs> I think that is just, well, you don't, teach me anything 
Oh, well, I think we just need to kind of sit down and really hash out what are the what are the hiccups that those students are are feeling and providing some opportunities like if you want to take that textbook home and try all the questions because if you feel like that's the way you're going to learn best like be my guest um, but I we are going to talk about math here we're going to talk about math and groups it's not going to be me talking to you it's going to be you talking about your own thinking and um, yeah so I would say that over time there is less and less pushback. The first year when I was teaching workplace, it was a 20-30 split. Um, and some of those students have fewer positive experiences with math classrooms that I we had to start small. There was no way that they were going to be at a whiteboard every single day standing up. Uh, and for some reason, the schedule, it was period one. <laughs> and I had kids that were coming right off of um, working at the farm as part of their job and straight into school and they've been up since 4 a.m. and like math was maybe not the thing they wanted to do first thing in the morning. So we we did, we started with the logical thinking Friday. It's in the curriculum. Look, it says right here, we have to play some games. <laughs> and by the last week, we were at whiteboards every day. Um, and it I don't even know that they realized what had happened, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that that's you know sometimes you have to take the small wins when you can so yes the pushback has been very much so more from the students who have had success in a more traditional classroom and but yes over time i think because i we, we have fun we have a lot of fun in class and for me my goal is to have most of the students mostly engaged most of the time and if they can come into class smiling and leave smiling and not come in grumpy or even if they do that they don't leave grumpy that's that's my goal Kyle, i'm glad you asked that question and i love that answer so thank you that was good for <laughs> i needed to hear that that's good for my soul so thanks <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that echoes a lot of the things that dean and i have been talking about with his class right especially his uh you know grade 12 students who are in their final term of their final year it's it's hard to sell them on something new when they've learned the rules to this whole other game and now we just changed it at the very end on them. Um, yeah. You know, and especially, you know, we talk about workplace math too. You know, it's not intended to be streamed, but it kind of is in our province, right? The students who typically have not had those good experiences with math right. seem to end up in those courses. Um, even though anyone would benefit from those courses, it's just, uh, it's an interesting beast to try to tackle, I think, uh, for a lot of teachers trying to start it in high school, specifically in those courses. Yeah. Uh, and for me, using aspects of this framework to teach a split grade, because there's so much overlap between the 20 and the 30, we can find so many cool tasks. And again, these students that have grown up in this town together, but have maybe never been in a combined class like this before, that's going to give them those opportunities to see what some of those learning strengths are of their peers. Yeah, it was, I mean, I won't say that it was perfect, not by any stretch, but I think we we made a lot of headway that year compared to where I started. And yeah, they probably thought, oh, why did Mrs. Dick have to go to that PD? Because now we're changing how we do math. But. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to keep asking, but I need, I want to ask this question too, because you just kind of mentioned. So where, where do you get your tasks from uh, normally? Well, I have a few go-to places. Now one of them is this wonderful Airtable site that Kyle and Megan and I don't even know who else have created. Um, and I 
do know that Anna McQuillan from Greater Saskatoon Catholic had started that Google Doc along with a few of us that kind of taught different grade levels, plopped a few things in there just as a starting point. And then I know um, Kyle and Megan and I don't even know who else was on your team, so I don't want to accidentally forget anybody. But that's that's a great place to go. Um, Enrich is one of my go-to sites. There are so many cool tasks on there that are easily adaptable for things. Um, I... And I guess it depends on the grade level. So Alicia Burdess out of Grand Prairie, Alberta, she's got those wonderful PDFs and there's stuff. She has a grade two, a grade three and a grade eight. But there are tasks in there, especially if for workplace in the grade eight one that are easily adaptable. And then Marion Small, she is a treasure trove of being able to use those open and parallel questions to create tasks. So and I think for some teachers, this is a bit of a segue, but I think those teachers who are like, I don't know where to start, but if they're using an open question to start their math class, like I'm thinking of two numbers that when I add them together, they're about seven, that, you know, in a grade one class, that'll be a very different answer than a grade six class who's just learning about decimals. Um, but that can turn in to a task if you are choosing to use aspects of the framework. So for some teachers, that can be a really nice segue into what they're already doing and trying in their classroom into something that will work at whiteboards and collaborative groups. So Marion Small, yeah, she's amazing. Her books are, they're a go-to place as well. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Marion Small's work and especially the open question books. Um, we've been able to put those into every library in our school division, so. Oh, that's um, amazing. Just, uh, you know, hope teachers use them and, and they, they do translate so well to a thinking task. Um, you know, a few tweaks here and there, but you can you can definitely get there. And then also you as you do more of them, you get a feel for it and you can start to come up with these kinds of questions on your own. And the other thing I see teachers who have dove into this and started to get deeper and deeper into thinking classrooms in general is they can look at almost any question and find a way to tweak it to make it a little more engaging, which, you know, is great thinking classroom or not. Right. So I think that's mm -hmm. one of the powerful pieces of a thinking classroom as well. Yeah, um, I agree. Because even like an open middle question that might have a specific answer, but again, coming back to that, anticipating where students are going to go. And if you're using some of those aspects of the, the five practices, just being able to have a few of those extensions or hints ready, like, okay, what if I give you a second digit? Which one do you want it to be? What if I had to get rid of a digit? Which one do you want to get rid of and why? Like all of those things that can that can come from that. So like you said, you can, and those teachers in the early elementary years that are already using numberless word problems or using stuff from Steve Wyborny, there's so much out there that just a few few little tweaks and how you structure it absolutely turns it into something that is wonderful and provides opportunities for thinking and learning. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, you, you know, outside of thinking classroom, um, you know, what are the, the other practices or, um, you know, activities that you do with your students that, that uh, seem to work well or that have resonated well with your students? over the years. It doesn't have to be recently, but things that have, you know, teachers maybe haven't heard of that they want to try. I know you mentioned Steve Wyberney, so he's got some cool things, but anything else that you want to share? <laughs> well, there's so many good things. I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, <laughs> I think if teachers haven't tried three act math tasks, there's some really, there's some good stuff in there. I will say for me, it's taken a bit of practice to figure out how to kind of do that so that we don't feel like we're all aiming towards the exact same answer at the exact same time. So that's still something that I'm I'm playing around with, but there's some wonderful stuff there. Grayson Wheatley, um, who I think worked out of Florida, he 
his book was called Developing Mathematical Fluency. So he's the um, he's had the quick draws. He's had lots of kind of fraction and decimal things. Uh, this idea of the what's my rule, whether you turn it into a routine or a handout or whatever, it works great as a routine. It's uh, one I love. Um, he's got some really good things that I think coincide really well with, with um, aspects of rich tasks. So if, if we think about kind of teaching through tasks with that low floor, high ceiling task as maybe the crux of our practice or the initial introduction into a topic or activity and then how do we practice some of those other things and I think especially for those elementary teachers that are seeing that lack of number sense and those months away from school and families perhaps maybe not having the opportunities to talk about numbers as much as they would have in the past we're, we're ordering groceries online to get delivered to our house we're not taking our toddlers in to count the oranges in the basket anymore all of those little pieces that finding those numeracy routines so that's where the steve white warning and the which one doesn't belong and the quick draws and all of those pieces fit in really well too so i think they can all go hand in hand and different teachers will structure their classrooms differently um and so i know peter talks about like get the kids thinking within that first five minutes and so as i've said to teachers who are maybe not ready to do a full-on 14 practices for everything that if they are starting with a with a minds on or warm up, those kids are still thinking and talking about math within five minutes of being in the room. It's not pulling out the homework and it's not cutting the corners off the workbooks that they're still thinking and talking about the math. Um, and so I think that is one of the key pieces of how these pieces of how these things fit together. So those would be some of the ones. And then, of course, like I said, we we like to have some fun with some games and so Sarah Carter's got some awesome things um, for the younger grades math for love Dan Finkel he's got some awesome games on his site um, there's a new group out of Alberta math math mania I'm sorry I apologize I can't remember exactly but their MMM is what they're so there's three things and they've got some YouTube videos there's a guy down in Australia who's got a ton of really easy math games it can be harder to find some for the middle years in high school um, but that doesn't mean it's not possible and I think there's lots of games that you can tweak and then of course Nat Banting from Saskatoon his website if that's that's a go-to place for me to find tasks and games he's on his resources page he's got a whole little booklet called 16 boxes there's a ton of great games in there yeah we're, we're big fans of nats as well and you know we love to see that homegrown um math resources kind of emerging and and that's just something we get really excited about um hopefully we can get a conversation with with him at some point too we haven't reached out but uh, we'll put that on the radar <laughs> <laughs> No, it's been fantastic. Did you have any other uh, comments or anything else that maybe you haven't touched on that you'd really like to, to share? Because this has been fantastic. This this sounds like another podcast down the road if you're cool with it. I'm, in, <laughs> I'm loving this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just am so appreciative of you guys reaching out and this idea of this podcast that you put together because I think hearing the stories from real life classroom teachers is valuable for people that um, as with any social media, I think people can get sucked in a little bit into well that could never work in my classroom or this idea that everything is perfect and ideal in everybody's room and that's that's not the case we're dealing with real life students and there's real life challenges every single day so um i i just i'm very appreciative of the work that you are doing to just talk about math education and, and teaching with people of this province and and your wider audience i think it's awesome thanks i mean we're we're just happy to share it's 
it's you guys that make this interesting. We just get to sit back and listen, which is a lot of fun. Um, and, and with that, you know what? We've been talking for quite a while. It is our Easter break. We don't want to eat up much more of your time. Um, thank you very much, Kirsten, for, for joining us and sharing all this awesome stuff. If anyone wanted to follow up with you or, or ask you any specific questions, would you know reaching out on Twitter be the best way to do that? Or how would you? Sure, guess? that would be awesome. Uh, my, I don't know if you put show notes on, but my, mm-hmm. was it called Twitter handle? Is that the right? See, I'm not very good at social media, but it's <laughs> at and then K-I-R-S-T and then D-Y. So uh, that's where I am on Twitter. And that's my Twitter account is mostly about math teaching. So and my DMs it's are good. Open on there. It's so good. anybody. <laughs> So anybody could reach out, but I think I'm, it's probably pretty easy to find me in this province because, uh, yeah, we're a small province with a core group of energetic math teachers. So um, I'm also a member of the SMTS. And so uh, for if there are any College of Education students listening, they are free memberships for that. And there's sometimes some PDE that gets organized that way. Um, Dean, I know you're a uh, connected with us, Ask Ed Chat that happens on Twitter. The Building Thinking Classrooms Facebook group has thousands of members, but there's some great tasks in their big Excel file that they've got going there too. So yeah, there's there's lots of places to find me. I'm happy to chat with anybody about math at any time. <laughs> I'm glad we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you, Kirsten. Uh, thanks, Dean. And uh, hopefully we can have another conversation soon. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. You've been listening to RCSD Thinks with your hosts, Kyle and Dean. Stay tuned for more conversations on the Thinking Classroom and other mathematical best practices. Until next time, keep those thinking caps on.